everybody to the Enneagram Journey Podcast. My name is Joel, and joining the Enneagram Godmother, Suzanne Stabile, today is Matt and Raylan Carr. Matt is a six and grew up in Northern California, and Raylan is a two from Kansas. They have two children, Sasha and Jude, and today they're going to share about their six-two relationship. We're going to talk some about sixes and uh, the need and desire for control, the importance of knowing place, orientation to time, uh, Raylan makes a This Is Us reference, and we're going to talk about parenting, IEPs, and some calendar talk. Plug time, Prayer in the Enneagram, an online event with the Reverend and Suzanne, March 26th and the 27th. So you can sign up online. The setup is just like the Grieving in the Enneagram workshop, where it's going to be 5 to 9 central time, both days, and the replay will be available afterwards. Also, uh, if you're going through Lent, Joe and Suzanne have a great Lent video series that they're posting weekly on the LTM website. We've got new sets of prayer beads, and coming up in April, the Fruits of the Spirit workshop with Suzanne, and that's going to be online on April 16th and the 17th. And you can find all of that information and a lot of other cool things that we're doing at LTM at lifeinthetrinityministry.com. Speaking of cool things, we've got a lot of great podcast coming up, including one with Tori Hope Peterson, where she and Suzanne talk some about foster care, some with Abigail Arnice, where they talk some about adoption, Courtney Perry to talk about yoga, and Brian McLaren comes back on the show to talk about his latest book, Faith After Doubt. They're all great conversations, and hope you listen to them. What will help us to reach more people is if you get the opportunity to share the podcast with a friend, or share it with someone you just met. That would be fantastic. Leave a review, leave a comment, leave a rating, and uh, you know that's always appreciated and helpful. And now let's send it on over to Suzanne, Matt, and Raylan. All right, so everybody yeah. can hear everybody. Hi, how are you guys? We're good. Good. Thanks well, for... I'm good. I should say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing well. Yeah, me too. Well, I guess if you want the honest truth, I do. Okay. Uh, my little guy, he's five and a half, almost six, had a rough day at preschool. And so had a teacher talk today and then we're doing vision therapy. And so had to come home and get those exercises done. And of course, you know, he doesn't move at the pace I need him to. So I could be down here at one and just kind of have a minute to myself. So just a little, like you would say, whipped up right now. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Joe and I and the children lived in Leonard, Texas, which is in Northeast Texas for a time. Joe served the church there for three years, and I had come out of my professional life to follow Joe around in Methodist ministry and be a pastor's wife, which I'm, I don't know, seems like not particularly suited for, but I seem appreciable to people because I don't... I'm not like other pastor's wives, maybe, because I'm just who I am. You know, I kind of don't dress all that up. And um, my first husband had two children that I was primarily responsible for. And then we had four. So BJ, our youngest, was going into kindergarten. And it was my first moment of freedom in years. And I was kind of missing feeling important and like I had something to offer that mattered and 
I um, was asked to be on Child Protective Services Board for the whole county, for Fannin County, and mm. I really liked that a lot, and felt like I was pretty good at it, and I went to a meeting, uh, and they had found out that the chairman, or the president, or the chairman, chairman, I think, head, whatever that was, was moving because his wife got a promotion, and they wanted me to be head of their board, not the organization, and Mm -hmm. that felt kind of honoring, and I said the right thing, even though I wasn't totally into it and I said well I'd have to pray about that first and um on the way back which was like a 40 minute drive to Leonard I thought man I'm gonna be so good at this like this is this is the thing for me and I went to those kinds of meetings for BJ and I went to the meeting and they said that BJ was having hand-eye coordination struggles and they gave us exercises that he needed to do four or five times a day and, you know, things like, okay. yeah, oh, yeah, my favorite was using tongs to put cotton balls in muffin tins. Mm. Was that his favorite? <laughs> he didn't have a favorite. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, <laughs> those were the days when I was first, it's a long time ago, he's 32, mm. when I was first embracing the question, what is mine to do and what mm. is it? If I don't do it, nobody else can or will. And I said no to being the head of the Child Protective Services Board for the county and yes Mm. to muffin tins and tongs. And it's hard. So, yeah, you guys can listen in if you want. But this is a mother moment who just came out of the teacher meeting where Mm. they said your kid needs to do this. So, first of all, that's hard, right? Yeah. And then it's hard to think about the time that you're going to have to give to that and where Mm -hmm. do you get it and what's it going to do with the relationship that you have. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so all to say, I I don't know who you could have said that to in this moment Mm -hmm. who would have felt it deeper than I do. So I get it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's, it just feels like so much. And yet, so, I mean, it's so very important Sure. and I, and I want to do it well. Sure. Um, but you know, he's a, he's a, his own person, you know, and to try to force things just makes it go worse. And so it's definitely testing me and letting him be his own person, but yet we got to do this, buddy, you know, we got to still do the hard things. So didn't know I'd be teaching that lesson at five and a half, you know, we got to do hard things. Yeah. Yeah. Me either. Mm. Me either. And then, then they said at that same meeting that he probably uh, needed some help with, uh, and he was in kindergarten five help with uh, numbers and letters. Didn't he, she said to me judgmentally, didn't he watch Sesame street? To which I said, no, he doesn't like television, but have you ever heard him tell you a story? Or he can tell you verbatim Hank the Cowdog stories that we read to him. She said, well, that doesn't help us in kindergarten. So, you know, I I got you, girl. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's not a particularly encouraging story, though, is it? (laughs) 
Well, it, it's, I'm not by myself, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm it's not like... the first one to be blazing a trail and yeah. that's encouraging. Yeah. It's just, yeah, I don't know what I was going to say, but I, I appreciate you connecting with me because it does feel like all the other mothers just yeah. come and pick up their kid and never have the talking with the teacher. Yeah. Yeah. They and just get just to go home. It's so discouraging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all so. I've got for you is BJ's 32 and happy and makes the world a better place and all's well. And I don't know if the cotton balls and muffin tins helped or not, but we did it. Yeah. You know what it did help? It helped me know what my priorities were. Mm. And it helped me know mm-hmm. what was mine to do. Mm-hmm. And yes. it probably is what gave me the question, what is it if I don't do it, nobody else can or will? Mm. Thanks mm-hmm. for your vulnerability, and I'll keep you in my heart while you grow that kid up. He'll be great. He'll be great. He has so many good things in him. Yeah. Yeah, but he is his own guy. You know what? Yeah, that's that. that somehow that's a, more appreciable when they're 30 than when they're five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I'm not so in charge or, yeah. I don't know, feel, need to feel responsible. I don't know. Yeah. You probably always feel a level of responsibility for kids, no matter how much, how old they get though. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I got to figure that one out. You will. Yeah. I, I, like I did about two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so don't rush yourself. <laughs> so what I'm hearing you say is get an anxiety pill. And <laughs> I never did that, but okay. I, um, I think part of the problem is Tunis, too. Mm. So here, here's the thing. Uh, my therapist has said to me more than once, you know, your children are not something you wear like an overcoat. And, and he used to say, do you take credit for everything they do right? Mm. And I, I would say, well, of course not. And he would say, well, then I, how do you get credit for the stuff they do wrong? Mm. you take credit when they're brilliant then how do you how come you take credit when they struggle a little Mm. so therapy's over you can sit back and breathe now okay you're reading my mail that's all i'm gonna say (laughs) i take a lot of credit when they when mine do stuff right yeah Yeah, like that's because i'm a good dad i I play both sides of that coin where i'm like i'm in the seventh space when they're doing it right and i'm Mm -hmm. like man you are crushing it Uh and then when they are just essing the bed Mm -hmm. and i'm like what what am i doing wrong yeah terrible over the the ones mercy interesting that we think we're so important in their lives isn't it isn't it y'all are bursting some bubbles right now yeah (laughs) yeah it's gonna be great joel okay first of all it's good to see you and next thank you for your vulnerability and filling out the form that we ask you to fill out and for your willingness to be available through your story that is your life for other people who will hear the podcast it's an interesting time. There's so much happening and we're so afraid of COVID and exhausted from everything that surrounds it. People are naturally being pretty selective about their vulnerability. 
but you two are kind of here we are and this is who we are and this is what we're doing and where we've been and we're willing to talk about any of it that you want to talk about. So the first thing I'd like for y'all to talk about is your sixness and twoness together as a couple and as dependent numbers and as thinking repressed numbers and all, all the things that come with both being in the same stance. You might start with uh, something that you've learned because you're both in the same stance but you're different numbers so you learned it from the other one. And you might talk about something that's a particular struggle for the two of you since you're both thinking repressed. Mm. To set the table for that, I just have finished my new book and my agent and friend and editor is a six. So I've been steeped in two six relationship for a time. Mm. Mm. And Raylene, I don't know if this is your experience or not, but for me, you know, that means that they're both, for people who are listening, that, that the six sixes are both thinking dominant and thinking repressed. And it was, things were going along pretty good and we were suffering together and struggling together when she was in repressed thinking and then she would pop up in dominant thinking and I felt all alone somehow in the mess mm. you want to start sure so been part of the enneagram for or known about it. i guess you're not part of it but known about it for probably two and a half ish years three years in march three years in march and for me we figured out a few things before that just out of pure luck guidance maybe um from the holy spirit but one of the things that that I do as a verbal processor, I will process verbally, but I will say, I think let's do this and whatever this is doesn't matter. And Ray Lynn would hear that as, oh, we're going to do a particular thing. And then an hour later, a minute later, a day later, it'll come up and I'll say, well, I, I think we need to do do this and it'll be completely different around the same topic. And she would be like, I thought we already figured that out. And so um, we've gotten pretty good where she'll ask me now, is that your final answer or is that your processing out loud? And um, has been able to, well, I can't speak for her, it appears to have reduced some of the frustrations with our communication. Um, that's probably one thing we've learned. And, mm -hmm. and as soon as you, you kind of start learning the Enneagram, you start seeing the connections and you're like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Here's what happened. But now it makes even a little more sense on why, why that's a struggle for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that your question sounds like who wants to be a millionaire. It's like, yes, that is my final answer. And do I get money? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> What's the payout? <laughs> Well, and for me, the payout was just, I knew what, where to, what to do. Like I knew what to feel or what direction to move. Um, because before, um, knowing that his process was the way it was, it was, it just was really confusing, um, to know what is my part in this marriage in the sense of what, what am I to do? Or do I just sit around and wait for you? Or is there 
is there a conversation we need to engage in or do you need to do more processing on your own? You know, just there were so many questions. And so then once we kind of figured out, okay, as a six, you're going through all of these different scenarios and you're thinking this might be good, but you're not done. You're going to continue to, to process. And so I could join in, in that at times. And sometimes I just knew he's going to need some time. And then, then I'll ask that all important question of, is this where we're landing? And that took a lot of that stress out of there. So I want to tip my hat to the two of you and tell a little bit of your story. Is that all right with you? Sure. So Matt was a widower with, and Sasha was two. Is that right? When y'all? That's correct. And Sasha, who was adopted from Russia, was two. And you and Raylan got together. And so as a two, Raylan, you walked into family that had lost a mom and a wife and a little who had to figure out relationship with you and had been through probably a lot of observing of grieving that would be impossible to explain. Mm -hmm. Then you're supposed to find your place in that while honoring Jenny's place, even though she wasn't there, her memory was there and her place was there and that's all really complicated, mm-hmm. really complicated. Mm-hmm. And then you two work to have a child, and that's complicated. And then you have Jude, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And when people talk about blended families, they think of the Brady Bunch if they don't have experience with blended families. Mm. And what we know from our perspective here, based on what we do and the people we get to meet and get to know, and based on our own lives, because we too are both part of blended families and all that, is that this whole notion of uh, the well-defined roles and identities within a family really just doesn't happen very much anymore. Mm. Mm -hmm. But we still have all of these examples of that around us that somehow have been held up that we're supposed to be able to manage and handle. Mm -hmm. So when I hear you talking about needing to know where to land with Mm -hmm. Matt, Mm -hmm. then that has something to do with all of that blending. Mm. Too. It's like, okay, where's my place? Well, where's my place? Is this my place? Is it okay for me to be in this place? Is this my place? Mm -hmm. And I am hoping that before I stop talking, having heard enough stories, I'll be able to do some work around how you find that, how you find it in different numbers, and Mm. how you uh, manage to somehow have your own needs and desires and wants and hopes and 
all of that. It gets to be very messy, and love doesn't fix all that. Mm-mm. No. No, it just doesn't. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. It's <clears throat> obviously it's been a journey of, you know, when you, as, okay, I'll, from my perspective, when I walked into that, of course I had expectations on it of what it would look like. And people around me had expectations and voiced them. I have a background in uh, counseling. And so a lot of times I would hear, you know, you're going to do so great at this because of your background or, you know, and I took that on as pressure. I took that on as I got to do this right. And this is what it's going to have to look like, or, you know, and that I, I just took that hook and sinker and tried to live that out. And in my own, I don't know if you'd call it selfishness or just overwhelmness of that time of trying to come in uh, to be Sasha's mom, that, I mean, it's probably been the most difficult thing I've done in my life to try to connect with a young child who's had more trauma than most people experience ever in their life and who just lost their second mom. And now here I come in as a third and she's, why would I expect her to just to connect? But that was what I was hearing that I was so good at. And I was, you know, and it was going to be great. It just, it, it was a lot harder than that. And it still is a lot harder than that. But um, yeah, blending is not, is not an easy thing. And I do think God in his goodness led us, you know, to have the tool of the Enneagram to help strengthen Matt and I in something that's pretty difficult. That, uh, we, we have a joke, I guess, except for the last couple of years, we never do things the easy way. <laughs> there you go. So, um, really from, from day one of our marriage, nothing was, was easy. And I know marriage is never easy in that sense, but just I feel like that could be a, I'm sure yeah. just jump in. That could be a t-shirt yeah. for a two and a six relationship. <laughs> we never do things the easy way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah could. Uh, the blended family aspect, because there was a lot of dynamics, as you can can imagine, um, and then wanting to have a child and and not being able to do that on her own, uh, ended up going a uh, uh, unique route, which I love, was uh, embryo adoption, but that wasn't a quick thing. That was months, and um, then, <laughs> bless Jew's heart, he is a non-sleeper, uh, still struggles sleeping to this day. And, you know, anyway, so we joke, it's a hard thing, but one of the hardest, the hardest thing, hardest thing we've experienced together for me has been watching Raylan struggle, wanting desperately for that connection and trying so hard and doing everything air quotes, right. You know what that, all the things that you read about from professionals, all that kind of stuff. And yet, you know, to her point, here's this girl that, that, that was abandoned at six months in an orphanage, picked her up at two, started to connect with, with her forever family. And then that, you know, four months later was ripped out and apart from her. So 
it it sounds absurd to think that <laughs> it's going to go go easy. But the, the hardest thing for me during our time together has just been being helpless. There is there's nothing I can do to fix it. I'm a fixer by nature, and it's a control thing. I think that that's big for for myself and. And it sucks. I, there's no other way to put it. It's just it's it's miserable to to watch that. And she's a fantastic mom. And yet, when you have these faults, grandiose expectations put on you by society, by by uh, um, you know innocent friends, by all this stuff, and and you don't meet them, you start beating yourself up. And that that's hard for me to watch too. And I, and I do it as well. So it's not like unique to her, but that's what's been hard for me. That brings up like 10 things that we could talk about. One is I'm not at all sure that enough thought has gone into the kind of language that we're going to adopt around adoption. Mm. Forever family has an awful lot of expectation Mm. written into that. Family has expectation. Forever mm-hmm. family has expectation. But that's the lingo, so that's the language that we're all kind of caught in using. I think having to be a professional at home is, that's a tall order. So then you get to just be a therapist 24-7. Mm. I haven't met anybody who wants to sign up for that. All of the things that go with wanting to connect to people with whom you can't connect, but it doesn't have anything to do with you. It's like, how do you get over that hurdle of, because it's, it must be about me. It must be about what I'm doing wrong. I think there's a idea, Raylan, that twos just want to be wanted by a person they love or a person they're in love with. But we want to be wanted by our children. We want to be wanted by the people that we work with. It's like that is our message that we seek to have met all the time. Mm -hmm. And the complexities of fostering and adoption and foreign adoption and the reality of adoption are very seldom appropriately discussed and particularly for those of us who are Christians, and I'm sure other faith beliefs too, but I can only speak from my own, where we believe we're doing what is ours to do and what is the right thing to do. And there is this thing that if you're doing what God would have you do, then it's just have all this blessing on it, right? Mm. And it does have blessing on it, I'm sure. We just don't know how to define blessing. Absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I heard you say, and this is a big, it was so eye-opening to me when I started hearing and learning about it over the past year, is the idea of um, I always wanted in our blended family I wanted to work on Jolie and Whitney's relationship. Kind of mm-hmm. what, what you talked to a little bit, Matt, when, cause Whitney's struggling at times to connect with Jolie and that whole dynamic. And then learning, uh, 
from listening to Andy Stoker talk mm-hmm. about family systems yes. that I, I can't affect that line of the, of that triangle. And then touching on what you said, Raylan, about how y'all use the Enneagram then to work on your bond together. Mm-hmm. And I, that's just, a that was so, because I was doing the same thing where I wanted that relation. I wanted to affect that relationship, but the only thing that I could affect was mine and Whitney's. And then by the byproduct of that would be helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think I even drag Matt into it sometimes, you know, we, we, we listen to Andy talk about family systems and we've talked about that so many times, the triangle and, you know, what we can affect and what we can't. And that was so helpful, but boy, I still try to say, you know, to kind of pull him in and that's not fair, but um, yeah, but I'm aware that I'm doing it now before I, I didn't, I didn't know that's wasn't his place or that, of course, we're all a part of the same family. I get that, but it is my relationship with Sasha, um, not his. We have two completely different relationships, and that's that's mine to do, and hers. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just hard when you have a child to know how much to expect from that, you know. And and I think I probably put too much expectation on her and that's I'm realizing some of that even now of how to let go of maybe some expectation I put on her that then can turn into resentment right unmet expectation turns to resentment and release her from that and then really lay it before the Lord's feet to say this is yours I'm you know I can't put this on her um to give a fair starting point I guess with us working together I know that both of you have a very conservative Christian background, that you have brought the pieces with you that worked, maybe, Mm -hmm. into where you find yourselves now. And I think we need to be mindful, particularly in relationship to where we find ourselves right now, because we're in liminal space. You know, liminality is when you're not where you were and not where you're going. And it's when you're on the threshold. Mm -hmm. And we are there. And it is affecting all of us in different ways. And it exacerbates the things that would perhaps not seem so big if life was a little more normal and we were all moving around at a whatever normal will be after all of this. If we didn't have so many limitations. And I hope that you are uh, cutting yourself some slack, both of you, on what you can affect and what you can't. And then you bring in the Enneagram with being dependent on each other and being dependent on the children in some ways to respond to you in ways that affirm that you're good parents. It's a very, very tricky time. I'm wondering, Matt, how you're doing with worst-case scenarios. Seems like uh, <laughs> you some of your planning must have been fairly helpful. <laughs> you got to be careful with that because I think, obviously, I would never choose to go through what I've gone through sure. in the – 
the realm of losing Jenny. Uh, and, th and this is probably the hardest thing. And I don't know unless you've lived in that space that you can fully understand it. And I don't think I fully understand it, but just how you could not pay me enough money to remove that from my past so that I wouldn't have to go through that hurt because of that, that struggle through that valley, that darkness has led me to where I am today. And you cannot pay me to take what I have today. And, and that's with not obviously Ray Lynn and Jude and that, but more with what God has done inside of me um, to refine, I think would be the best way mm -hmm. to, to um, the second half of life. That's probably the best way that I can describe that. Um, and so all that to say is um, if, if God wants you in the second half of life, no, no amount of pre-planning is going to help. Um, That's right. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Um, and it's certainly not age specific. No. 37. Yep. 37 happened you were 30 you were 34 or something uh, you were 37 when you were married. Right. we got married at 37 there <laughs> we go we're older now so i forget forget <laughs> but what i think it had done i think i was very asleep which is probably the language that you would you'd best use to describe that from the enneagram perspective to even my anxiety the fears that i had i had them um i have no idea what what jenny was you're not supposed to type people my best guess is she was an eight so this the six could sit back and know he was well taken care of and and not in a lazy sense but just in being able to to um um from that dependent side hey she's gonna you know she's got this that's right we're gonna be okay and so then you know the the period when i was was single um obviously was a growth but I don't think I've seen any of it coming, but what I've noticed is now as I'm learning where this anxiety is coming from, even before the Enneagram started discovering some of this, opening those, those channels to, to understand that I have a fear about stuff that may happen, may sure. not happen. And the reality is some of the stuff that I have fears about today uh, in, in a certain way has happened to me. So it's not completely irrelevant, mm -hmm. but the, you know, but that's where you have to learn to uh, let go as best you can. And, it, and sometimes it's a, it's a second by second thing. Sometimes it's a minute, maybe an hour, a couple hours, but you let go of that energy or that, that anxiety, you turn it over to God and you just have to find that knowing that, Hey, I'm going to be okay. Cause God's with me. Whatever happens somehow we're going to get through whatever it may be. Now, living that out successfully and, and just having to retell yourself that are two different, you know, two different things. It's, it's a daily struggle. Yep. I've said a lot during this time that I think sixes were prepared for a pandemic, but not for being quarantined and no choices and ongoing liminal space. It's like you can you can kind of have a plan for big things that happen if you're a six, but it doesn't cover the reality of the things that happen. Right. And that is a good thing that, that sixes can learn from all of this. I just don't think sixes were prepared for the lack of control. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. 
Because what six you've said to me several times. Go ahead. Well, what sixes do is they plan and then they realize that what they planned for didn't happen. But I don't think sixes have done the habitual pattern of planning and if it didn't happen, something else happening and realizing they weren't prepared for that. If that was kind of an odd way to say that I just don't think this whole pattern in sixes of planning covers what we're experiencing globally right now. And if sixes aren't prepared, then for sure nobody is. So none of us are prepared. And we're all trying to come to this whole big thing that we're in from the perspective of how we see and you two have been trying to come to your marriage and your relationship and your family from the perspective of how you see. And even mm-hmm. though you're both dependent numbers, you don't see the same way. And even though you both verbally process, you don't process the same way. And so it highlights the difference in stance numbers, mm-hmm. which you might think would be a little sweet spot for you that turns out not to be. We'll talk more about that. <laughs> I was about to say, I'd like to hear y'all talk more about it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Y'all talk about it. <laughs> I find it humorous, and, and it's something I've more recently been noticing, is we'll be, say, fearful, or we'll be talking about a situation that we think is going to go whatever. So-and-so's mad at, at such and such. What is that going to do? And she's thinking of it truly, as I understand it, from the the feeling, the relational standpoint. And I'm more like, what is that going to do to our, our uh, safe and secure, you know, unit? It's more from a security standpoint versus she appears from what I can tell is more relational. And so as we're verbally processing back and forth, it, it is kind of funny, the same fear, so to speak, or the same topic being talked at from two completely different um, motivations. Mm-hmm. But I can really appreciate that because I don't, I'm just all about relationship. What's happening here? Am I going to get disconnected here? Is that going to hurt and whatever? And he's thinking on a practical side of things. And in a way, uh, it kind of gets me to step back even just an inch from the feelings, all the feelings about it and kind of reflect even just a little bit differently um, because I just, I, I get stuck in just, and physically feel when we're talking about, you know, different things. So to hear even another dependent stance perspective is, is something that helps bump me out a little bit and separate myself from just feelings. So you can't quite manage struggling with Sasha and now you got a thing that you have to do with Jude that's going to make him mad at you yeah and that's going to feel like a relationship problem yeah and Matt appears to be at the office yeah I'm in my boss's office and he he just walked in (laughs) he's fine but you know that's a thing you went to the meeting you have to do the stuff Right, and Matt will get home for dinner, and Jude's mad, and Sasha's mad at you, 
and mm-hmm. oh, daddy's home. Yeah, that part of family makes me crazy. So, someone's projecting a little bit. <laughs> no, I think someone's someone's so, in our I'm, house. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. I don't know why we have to drag the Reverend's good name into this. Uh-huh. You know, the Reverend's in the other room. He can come defend himself. <laughs> do do your kids, with both of y'all being verbal processors, my folks would talk to me, at me, for Two. hours mm. when I was in trouble or they or. It wasn't hours. It just felt oh, like hours. Man, it felt like days, and it was hours. <laughs> Uh, is that happen at all in y'all's home? Well, I'll speak for me, how they interact with me. Cause I, I'm with them more, um, just because Matt's goes to work. Right. Um, but prime example today, go to pick up Jude. He had a tough day at school. The teacher talked to me about it and all the way home, I'm talking to him, asking mm-hmm. questions, you know, trying to get him to connect, you know, the dots on things and, you know, all the things that you try to do. And, and finally about maybe a quarter mile from the house, I'm like, stop too many words. He's not going to get it all. You know, just, you just stop, mm-hmm. you know? And so, yeah, I, I, I do that to my kids. Sasha's old enough where she rolls her eyes, you know, that kind of thing. But Jude, he just kind of glazes over and wants to tell me a story of an experiment they did at school, you know? And so he's like, can I just tell you my story now? Okay. <laughs> now tell me the story. So yeah, they get a lot from me. What do you th- say, Matt? You- I tend to try to explain. I'm very, very pragmatic in nature. And so both our kids are, the mo- are not the most efficient in approaching tasks and things. And it, and it, it honestly drives me absolutely, absolutely batty. Um, love them to death, but mercy. So whenever I'm trying to have a talk with Sasha, she's moved on. Now, we still haven't picked her stance. I think it's a lot more complicated considering some of the, yep. the, the things we're against, are up against, you know, with the, the, the trauma and such. But I'm, and she'll say, I'll get done talking and she'll, she'll be on to the next topic. And I'll say, but, but no, let's, let's go back. Did you hear what I said? Well, yeah, I heard, you know? And so I, I, I use a lot of words too, naturally. And I, I think they check out pretty quickly. I struggle to find appropriate ways to talk about this. And so I sometimes get in trouble when I try. But I think one of the most important things that we don't deal with in life because we don't know how to do it um, the exact right way, and that's place. You know, I think everybody has to understand place. And I think everybody has to know their place and find their place. But, you know, as soon as I stand up in a room teaching and say everybody has to know their place, then I've triggered about 15 people in the room. Joel's going to get the emails. Why am I talking about people knowing their place? You know, how that all follows and so because i'm peace loving and i want people to love me i keep backing up from talking about place but y'all are going to have to face that from this day forward because there's so much in your family that has to do with place Mm. jude will feel like he has place that sasha doesn't have because sasha's adopted from 
Russia, Sasha will have place because she got there before you did, Raylan. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like yes. there's a lot of stuff around place. And I don't know the answer to that. So I'm not bringing it up to tell you some wise and wonderful thing. But I would love for the two of you to start thinking about that and mm. think about how you address it and mm. how you deal with it for what it is, not cover it over, mm-hmm. and what works so that at another time you can share what you're learning with me and with other people. Mm-hmm. Because I think everybody wants to belong. Mm. And I think there is a a subset of people who struggle with belonging because they don't know which place is theirs. Mm. And it happens with parents. Raylan, I'm sure early on you didn't know when it was your place to discipline Sasha and when Matt Mm -hmm. was going to do it because Matt had been with Sasha. It's all of that. And mm-hmm. then adoption is its own thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I commend you both on saying, well, this is where we are, and these are the things we're struggling with. And everybody who's listening who has responsibility for parenting children knows that there are those days when the teacher wants to talk to you. But, Raylan, you and I feel like the teacher doesn't talk to anybody else's, about anybody else's kid, just ours. And That's right. then when Joe or Matt come in as a six and a nine with all their thinking about that and not being emotionally involved, then that's a disconnect. Mm-hmm. It's like, who wants to talk to you about this? You know, like I used to be in real trouble. I'll tell you how you can feel better. I would say, why did I have to go do this and you weren't there? And then the answer I would get was, well, I had a funeral. It's like, well, how do you, oh, uh, oh, oh, okay, I can't complete the funeral, right? right? Yeah. So um, what, what do y'all think is the most exciting part and the best part of being a six and a two? I am very, I'm more of a social six. Um, which I know you've talked a little bit in some of your teachings that depending on life circumstances and stuff that could, could shift. So I'm not, I can't remember enough to know where I may have been prior to, to some of the the events. Um, But I like to, I like to have fun. I think I've got a pretty strong seven initial seven wing, my five wings starting to grow. So I'm not doing, doing as many circles, flying circles, you know, with one wing these days, but um, I like to have fun. I like group. I like, let's just all, let's just all have a good time. Um, spending time with friends. I like and dislike the, the wanting to, to bring a group together. I mean, I, I, I know that I can be good at that, but it also terrifies me that I will fail at that. Very, very much an insecurity thing. You know why? Cause I'm a six. But do you know why that terrifies you? Why? Because sixes are the number that's the most concerned about the common good. Mm-hmm. So if you bring a group of eight people together and seven are happy, that isn't eight, seven. It's also a control issue. It's easier to control just me, but a group together. Yeah. Yep. Yep. 
That's why I, that's why I like going solo. Because <laughs> you can't control. Yeah, I, I'm in control. You know, I yeah. think it's the same reason for you know sevens and fives bring bring their own car. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So. And I think people tend to forget that fear looks really different on different sixes, and what you're afraid of is different. And if ex- if you've experienced trauma. And then you still have a lot of concern about the little stuff. People don't get that. It's like, how can you care about that? Well, because that's the way I'm put together. So I do care about that. There's not a lot of six podcasts or podcasts out there with sixes on them. Um, I know you guys have had some panels and, and every now and then there's, there's one here or there, but there's a lot I identify with the six, but some of the stereotype. You know, like having a, a tornado, we're in the Midwest, survival kit in my car. I, I don't. There's a lot of those, those I don't want to say little things, but more of those common things that a lot of people express that I don't seem to, to wrestle with, which, praise the Lord, because there's plenty that I do fear. Mm-hmm. So for a long, not a long time, but, you know, I, and this is another telltale sign of a six. Why am I really a six? Maybe I'm a three because I am very very um, efficient. I'm not, you know, I like to keep moving. Let's go on to the next thing. Let's keep moving. And um, honestly, your stance work is what, what answered that to me, because no matter how I look at it, there is no way (laughs) that I am not in the dependent stance. There's, there's like no question about it. And so there may be sixes out there that, that some of the items resonate some of the, the the descriptions, the behaviors, which can be shared across any number, um, resonate with them, but just still are kind of wavering between. Well, am I really that or not? Um, boy, you can you can knock six of the nine numbers out by just focusing on your stance, and I, I think that is that is gold that I did not fully understand um, probably until about the last six months. In that vein, can y'all talk some about orientation to time? So twos and sixes and ones are all oriented to the present. And mm-hmm. people ask a lot of questions about that. Maybe you can shed some light on it, make it a little bit easier to understand. You want to go first, love? We're present, right? We're like, what is happening now as twos and sixes? And like anything, there's positives and negatives to having two people with the same. I think we, it means we, can understand each other a little bit more and kind of know where we're coming from. Um, but we're a bit handicapped on bringing in from the past and the future thinking on what does that mean for now? And, um, I don't have any example about that, but we, we can find ourselves wrapped up in the present and, and stay there. And that impacts, our mood that impacts how we communicate to one another um, until something will click in either one of us and say, now, wait, let's look at what has been and let's reflect on that and let that, or what we know is not possible in the future. You know, what's the worst thing, you know, they have that thing on uh, this is us with Randall and his wife. I can't remember, but they say, let's play this out. Let's just do the worst scenario. And they just do it. They play it out. And so you'd say that and then help that form the present. But we can we can get stuck with just what we're looking at in this moment. What would you say, Matt? 
And Matt, before you jump in, I'm so happy that I didn't yeah. make the first pop culture reference in the show today. Oh, so. sorry. No, wait up. Thank <laughs> you. It's all good. Yeah. All good. It's usually Joel. <laughs> Definitely what's in the here now. ADHD-ish Tennessee's, you know. Follow the flashy light. For the job I'm in, I'm in a customer support. Basically, I always call it a firefighting job. It's in the aircraft industry. So whatever issue has popped up and whoever's yelling at the time is, is the issue that needs to be addressed. And since I'm in the here and now, that is very uh, beneficial <laughs> in, in my job performance. Um, but as with any strength is the weakness, which is my long-term projects that oh, I'll get to that later. Let's not think about that now. We've got this now. And so um, I know you talk a lot about your questions that you ask and, and recommend that for two specifically, but I think even as a six or someone in the present where their, their time is, is now is to say, okay, I had this thing pop up. Maybe not, is it mine to do? Does this need to be done now? And if I say yes to that, what am I delaying or saying no to later? And I know that's something that you had mentioned. So I have to find, I have to remind myself that, yes, most of my job is putting out fires that, that pop up minute to minute to minute, um, dealing with customer issues, that kind of thing, but really force myself to carve out time and to you know, shut the email off, um, shut my notifications off, whatever it is, so that I'm not distracted when I have something that I need to put my time on, that, that's more of a long-range project. I don't know if that, that at all makes sense. One of the things I really like about what you said is that I've always taught that sixes handle whatever's happening right in front of them, regardless. You're talking about calling it putting out fires, but sixes are really good in an emergency. So there is no reason for them not to trust themselves. In the moments when they're struggling with trusting themselves, it has to do with stuff that's out there that hasn't happened yet. And when they get there, they handle it just fine. One of the things I've noticed more recently, um, especially in the work setting, because that's eight hours of my day, 10 hours of my day, is I'll go to make a decision. And I find, and I, I started thinking about this in areas outside of work, but if I go to make a decision and I'm able to just execute it and not, <laughs> sounds horrible, not stop and start thinking about mm -hmm. that decision, mm -hmm. I find I do pretty well. Sure. But as soon as I have a, a gap in time to where, okay, yeah, I think we, I think we need to do this. And I, and it's not something I can go out with an email now, or I tell, you know, let's do this. I start thinking about it. Then I'm like, oh, well, maybe I need to ask so-and-so. Well, I really should bounce this off with such, you know, this person. Um, and so I'm kind of starting to observe other areas of my life. Um, when I feel prompted to send a, uh, an encouraging note to, to say our pastor or whatever. A lot of times I would think it, but then I would get caught in the loop. Well, I don't want to bug him. He gets a lot of, um, you know, he's, he's really busy. I don't want to burden him with, and it's all nonsense, really. I mean, I, I think pastors would love to be burdened with people saying, Hey, I'm thinking about you and praying for you. Exactly. You know? I was about to but jump in like on that and say, I, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it doesn't I talk like myself a out of those things. Yeah, and I, mm -hmm. I've been for, <laughs> forcing, but I've been very intentional saying, "No, you're going to do it." I brought this person 
doesn't matter if it's a pastor or not to mind, send a quick text. Yeah. Suzanne, I have a question for you. Okay. If, if you can tell me if this has anything to do with orientation to time. Having two kids with um, IEPs and uh, obviously different kinds of therapies going on, it's necessary for me to feel like I need to be about 10 steps ahead. And um, I mean, that's just part of the deal, but that part is just incredibly exhausting. And it, it's not a natural thing for me to do that. And I, when you were talking earlier, just talking about orientation to time and I just was thinking, I wonder if that has anything to do with why that part is so hard of, cause I've got, I've got the homework here right in front of me, but what are we going to need to be doing out here and making the appointments or, right. you know, thinking ahead for medicine or, you know, whatever it is, that's, I, I have to do it and I am doing it, but it takes so much for me. Is that a real fast for you answer for me yeah. and the listeners that don't know what IEPs can you? Oh, sorry. Yeah. An individualized education plan. Okay. So yes. So the school has a certain set of um, ways they're going to support our kids to help them in the different uh, ways that they're needing some education support. The only thing that works for me, I get in a lot of trouble with what I have to do today. And I've tried uh, digital calendars and that doesn't work for me. I have to have a paper calendar and I have to work it once a week. And I have to have one that I can carry with me, but I have to have one on the wall that I see just randomly passing through. Mm. So my office is not huge. I office at home, but it's not huge. But I have on my desk my calendar, but I also have one with the same information on the wall mm. because I have to see it over and over and over to stay ahead because my orientation to time is right now. Okay. And I can't do it looking at the calendar on my phone or my laptop. Mm. It doesn't work. It just doesn't mm. work. So I highly recommend that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I put everything in my phone, but that's mainly so I get reminders. Do you yeah. know? Uh-huh. It's not one I look at to see kind of long range at all. It's yeah. just to keep me on course. But yeah, I do a paper calendar too. I don't, I cannot. Yeah imagine yeah if you put one if, if if you look at one I'm also a visual very visual person mm. and so the more I see it the more I know that that's coming but yeah. I process verbally so Joe and I do calendar work verbally with one another on Sundays mm. to say this is what's coming Monday Tuesday right so then I get to take it in on every level because I really beat myself up if I don't meet the mark somewhere. Oh, yeah. And I can't, mm-hmm. I can't do it without that process. So just give it a try. Yeah. That calendar work for the dependence dance. Whitney, she's all about the calendar as well. And I'm like, we do the digital calendar. You know, we both have, uh, we're Apple people. Yeah. And I'm like, just, we don't need to have a meeting about this. Put it. Put it in the calendar. Yeah, I know. And then I know where I'm supposed to be and when. The, the conversation that doesn't have to happen. Inaccurate. That is incorrect. 
Yeah. <laughs> Although I think Matt, you're the one that verbally wants to process our calendar more than me, but I, but I'm keeping everything on my paper calendar, which he does not have access right. to. So, you know, yeah, anyway. I'm, I'm all about Joe and me being on, having his information on my calendar, my information on his, and we mm. don't have children living at home. Like I, I can't make it otherwise. I can't mm. do it. And then I get anxious about what's coming and I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. So give that a try. Also okay. with kids on IEPs, it gives them a sense of things getting done. Mm-hmm. They don't have to witness, oh, I forgot. They see all this structure from you, which mm-hmm. helps them. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you two twos. Yes, we would love to help you. And if, if this is just way off base, then I get to edit it out. Um, mm. Is part of being oriented to the present and being so relational for Enneagram twos that the priority is whatever relationships are in front of them. When I think about being oriented to the future and then what tie that has to relationships, mine is, okay, I want to do this next week. We are going to do this at some point here. And then I consider what relationships are involved in that. You know, you've got your kids, especially, you know, so y'all both have been handling the kids at home and then that is in the forefront of your mind. And then do other, do other relationships get not forgotten, but maybe not the space that they need because they're not right in front of you. We talk, you know, so now we're replacing, uh, the activity, you know, we talk about one student six is doing what's in front of them and what's here in the now is relationships in that same boat does that make sense Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um so pre-marriage as a single uh i i did really well keeping up with my relationships and friends and i was single till i was 37 and i so many people were married and having kids and so they always commented on wow you know how are you able to keep up with everything and do it i was like I don't know. I mean, it's just, I didn't have the kids. I didn't have the distractions. Right. But they were important to me. And I think they gave me my value. They gave me my identity in a sense of, you know, relationships, how I stood with them reflected on my worth. So that's why they were that important to keep up with everybody that was long distance from me. Um, Getting married, becoming a wife and a mother at the same time, completely just uh threw me for a loop on how in the world uh to do that and i it was an identity crisis on some level because i didn't know i was learning how to be a wife how to be a mom those things were right in front of me needed a lot of my attention and yet i i mean and i longed for my friends and boy did i try but now these days and i and i'm so thankful that they're willing to do it but i get called more by my friends to catch up and to connect than I'm able to. And that means the world to me, um, you know, and that speaks to me and my value to them. So yeah, it's, it's been a tale of two, two kinds of seasons with, with relationships. I think what happens to me is I'm always aware, as you know, of dad, like always aware. And I kind of have, 
this sense when somebody's not okay. Mm-hmm. Like I just kind of know. And so I check on them. Like I'll call mm-hmm. and say, you doing all right? Everything good? Or I'll send a text or something. I'm pretty grateful for emojis. Mm-hmm. I can communicate a lot with a heart and an angel and a dove or something, you know, that doesn't require <laughs> me to give more than I've got to give. Mm-hmm. But I had to experience some seasons of burnout a little bit to know that I couldn't keep being in relationship with everybody all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like you both talked about that in two different ways right there. You know, the season changing. Mm-hmm. And I have one more Enneagram two question for you. People, we don't have twos on a ton. Uh, mm. Because, you know, like who the host is and, you know, if we're talking about Enneagram information and Enneagram knowledge, you know, we've got this host as well. But people will say to Suzanne, I think I'm an Enneagram too, but I'm nothing like you. Mm. And then my mom will say, it's an effect of, well, I'm an extroverted extrovert or whatever's after that and things along those lines. Can you speak for kind of some similarities in tuness that you re- that resonate with you Raylan, uh versus against my mom and things that you don't relate to just for the, those twos out there that are like man I'm, I thought I was a two but I'm not like Suzanne yeah well absolutely because I have said that um, because Suzanne you're just so well known and when people listen to this podcast they think they know twos yeah. and so then they you know come to me with those same expectations of well this must be what you're about and so it's it in some ways it's easier to say the differences than the similarities right um but no it's it, the similarities that i hear from you with your stories and your teaching of just the um, intuitiveness. And you even just said it, you feel, you can feel kind of how people are. Um, it's a, it is a very strange thing to walk in a room and kind of know what's happening, uh, without even see and not even speaking a word to anybody. You just feel it. And you kind of get even, you know, who, if you're in the mood for it, I say with myself, but then, you know, either who to avoid or who to go and talk to. Right. That's right. So, you know, there's, there's so much of that, that I connect with. And I have thought about that many times, Joel, with people, well, maybe this is a little bit different, but I just, even the thought that so many people misidentify who've grown up in the church as women, as twos. And so that's made me have to do a lot of work on, is that, is that me just playing the part? Is that just what I was conditioned for? Um, Yeah. I think I mentioned this in the little, Uh, blurb that I filled out before we uh, recorded, but it was truly listening on the Road Back to You podcast to Hunter Mobley talking about what it was like to be a two that I, we were in the car listening to it. And I just felt like I was just sitting there completely exposed and was found out that, oh my gosh, even found out to myself of what all happens in here because I didn't ever have words for it. And then now my husband's going to know, you know, all these things of how, what's going on in me. Yeah, I I know for sure there's two. Now, the way it comes about that I'm different from Suzanne and, you know, twos can be different um, is 
I don't go to the grocery store and talk to just everybody. I don't, um, bless you. Well, <laughs> I, <laughs> and that's okay. You know, sometimes I will because I can sense somebody really needs it, but I, I feel more guarded with my time and my energy. Um, then I think some twos, I'm also, I'm not volunteering for everything. I don't know if some of that has to do with a wing influence, but it, it, this is going to sound not good for me, but sometimes I choose by what it's going to do for me. Um, you know, what's this going to benefit me? Not always for the other person. And so, um, I feel like, you know, some twos are just in it for anybody, you know, and they're just given and given all the time. Um, those are unhealthy twos. That's unhealthy. Yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. And good for you for saying, sometimes I'm doing those things just because there's something in it for me. Because Mm -hmm. that's true for all twos. They just don't say that. Kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. it it takes away from the halo a bit to say, yeah, "Yeah, Mm -hmm. I did it for me. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Because I want to be looked at, right, as the great one and appreciated for all I do. But, you know, you say all the time, too, that, Twos, people think twos uh, love everybody. Yeah. Nope. I know. Everybody. (laughs) And, you know, the other thing is we settle for appreciation when what we really want is love. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it's tricky if you're trying to get appreciation from people in the grocery store who you're never going to see again because not much love comes with that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I I am uh, much more generous in the grocery store than I was when I had four children at home. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, That makes sense. (laughs) I wouldn't help Uh, anybody with green beans when I had four kids at home. (laughs) Get in and out. Yeah. Gotta go. (laughs) Um, We, I've been reading a book uh, with my small group called the cure. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's been phenomenal and just such a neat tool to use alongside the Enneagram. But one of the things that it talked about was you can't receive love uh, when you're wearing a mask because it's the mask that gets the love. Right. And then you can doubt it. And that's such a two thing is when you receive the accolades back, you know, you doubt it because was I putting forth something that was true. So that's just been a really good process for me to go through and really look at what am I, uh, giving and is it authentic to who I am? So that when I receive back, I know it's to me and not the image. I want to thank you guys for your time and for your integrity and for your generosity and sharing your story. I think you represent um, lots of folks that won't ever probably be on the podcast or be in the room when I'm teaching. And I think it's a good time for us to kind of plan for what what is the most important thing that you would share a blended family what's the most Mm -hmm. important thing that you would share with a family that is uh, that is dealing with an adopted child and it's an international adoption you know there there are things that you all are living through with great integrity and with a willingness to be honest that I would encourage you to talk about wherever you get the chance to because that could surely be a way 
that God is using you. I certainly mm. picked that up from reading the page and from talking mm. with you. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank y'all. Thank you. Thank y'all mm-hmm. so much. Thank y'all. I, I wish we could go because I have a more questions.